All right, you may be seated, gentlemen. I want to introduce our first speaker. I am really thankful for Matt. <coughs> I used to introduce him as my favorite ex-atheist, and I say that uh, every time, but I used to go into a big, long discussion on how we met and how that all worked out. Many of you know that story. For you gentlemen, you need to know the story. It's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, <coughs> it all went down at a, a Marie Callender's restaurant. It was pretty, pretty cool experience. Anyway, uh, I'm really thankful for Matt now because of the years of faithful service in the body of Christ. He's been an absolute constant. Mm -hmm. There's been some times where the devil tried to split us up, to split, to split uh, Matt up to move him away from from the church and, and it was a classic you know devil getting in uh, using the, the the division between homeschool and Christian school uh, and there was a huge fight going on uh, in Christ Church and uh, I'll tell you what I, I sat down with Matt and I said it's not Christian school homeschool it's Christian education Christian education takes place every day, every hour, every moment if the dad and the mom, the husband and the wife are doing it right. Amen? Amen. I mean, when, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk the way, you're continually teaching and discipling your children. That's Christian education. Now, if a parent so chooses to put their kids in the Christian school, praise God. If the parents so choose to put their or have their kids homeschooled, Praise God. If they choose to have their children in the government school, man, uh, they are setting themselves up for trouble down the road. They need to be constant in there in the morning, in the night, and as they walk, by the way, teaching them because they're being indoctrinated more now than ever before. But the reality is, is it's on the parents. And so the devil tried to take this guy away. And I had to decide. I don't want to lose this man. I do not want to compromise the truth. Christian education is what it's about. Deuteronomy in chapter 6 verses 4 through 7 is the mandate for the fathers. You're responsible. And so we, we came to that understanding at a little Starbucks in Salem. And I'll tell you what, it was kind of bristly there. And I understood why he was bristly. You know, somebody telling you that you have to have your kids in the Christian school. Someone telling you anything that's against conscience. And I'll tell you what. Somebody attacking your wife at a ladies' event. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, brethren, it's important to realize that this man was willing to stand for, I believe, what to be true convictions. God gave those kids to me. I'm responsible for those kids, and it's my choice that we're going to homeschool. Well, praise God. I wanted to back him 100%. But you remember I said, now look, homeschool's tough. you got to be on it, and it's it, because I've seen so many homeschoolers that just haven't done the job. And so, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. But praise God, kids are growing. Kids are moving towards the faith. We just are so thankful for that. So this man's a man of strong conviction, as you're about to find out, you two. And uh, uh, you know what? He not only puts his time and energy where his mouth is, but his money is too. 
there are missionaries around the world as well as local ministries that are being served uh, by God's give, granting him uh, the gift of liberality. So this man is a great man of God. I sure do love him. And whenever he and his wife walk in the room, uh, all eyes turn, all ears hear. This woo, hugs and kisses and laughing and cackling. And, and so uh, I love the spirit this, this guy has. God's given him a special spirit. So let's give it up for Matt Kaikula. Woo-hoo! Right. Love you, brother. Thank you, brother. Okay. If you don't mind, I want to pray over your lesson. All right. Okay. Father, I'm so deeply thankful for this good man. Um, he's just one of those great disciples. You know, he, he's a part of the family at Pleasant Hill, but Father, he's more importantly a part of your family, the family of, of uh, uh, Christ Jesus. We just praise you and thank you so much for him, and we're excited to hear what he has to say. I pray you bless, bless him, give him the strength, give him the power, and give him the conviction, Father, as he speaks words, not just in the words of man, but by the power of the Spirit. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, there you go. Well, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I'm excited to go back and listen to the preaching that I missed. Sorry about that. I had a shutdown on a lab that we had to do, and I could not get out of having subs there and getting some things done. But let's turn with you would. It's funny you brought that up, Bill, because turn to Romans chapter 14. I got to lay some foundation before we talk about David the giant slayer and before we talk about how we become giant slayers. But Romans chapter 14, I need to lay some foundation. You guys can blame Keith for this message. He uh, he did some preaching here. Yeah, <clears throat> we've been swapping preaching back and forth monthly, and he put a bug in my head, and and man, I started chasing it down. And then Bill gave me the the context for this, and I was like, oh, this is perfect. But Romans chapter 14. It's a great verse because it talks about freedom. Anybody know why Romans chapter 14 was written? Anybody? Romans 14 is written so that men of selfish ambition wouldn't have any power. What do I mean by that? Last night I heard you gentlemen talk about free will, and it sounds like it was discussed the other day in the preaching. Romans 14 is the chapter of free will. If you look at Romans 14, it could be summarized by the fact that you can do what you want to do in your faith. It's funny that Bill brought that up because we we had some serious issues with the homeschooling people telling us we were selfish people tell it's like listen all i see is that it's up to me to do it and just because of the circumstances when we tried to put our kids in the the christian school it was kind of a mess so we pulled out and man we had no idea what kind of firestorm that would bring but there were men in the church that thought there was only one way to do it this is the only way you weren't getting the picture you didn't see it you didn't understand if you didn't do it this way well, Romans 14 cuts that off. Romans 14 silences that. Romans 14, Romans 14 keeps men of selfish ambition from being able to micromanage the church and try to take over and say it's either my way or the highway. Mm. Romans 14 gives us free will faith. And it says as long as we do it by faith and with conviction, then it's good in the eyes of God. But what is the antithesis of faith? What is the antithesis of faith? Anybody? What? Unbelief. Unbelief. One, a little stronger. Doubt. Doubt. 
You either have faith that it's that way, you have faith that this is the way the world operates, or you doubt. And God has a lot to say about doubt. Turn, go ahead, Romans 14. <clears throat> now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. We could talk about that offline later. <clears throat> the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Right. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. And he who gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then let each one of us give an account. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing, unclean, nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Mm -hmm. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So Paul lays out for us clearly the dichotomy between faith and doubt, and that we have freedom to do all things as long as we are convinced and convicted it is what you need to do. And I love that passage because it, what it does is it gives us free will. No one, no one person can say, you need to do it this way. <laughs> Au contraire, mon frere. <laughs> right? I can do whatever I now, granted, within reason. But it leaves a lot of open opportunity for us to worship, serve, in a way that we feel convicted to do so. And note there, too, that it says, what is the antithesis of all this? What is that which sinks a person's? 
is doubt. Yep. God has a lot to say about doubt. And I'll, I'll, I want to build on this before we talk about David and how when we come against giants, we can slay giants as well. And David is a perfect example of a man with no doubt about his purpose, his abilities, and his conviction. Amen. So with that, let's kind of do a little whirlwind here. I'm I can actually do this pretty quick and leave Jeff quite a bit of time. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 1 through 12. James, a bondservant of God and of Lord Jesus and the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my beloved brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. <clears throat> he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice James does a great job of, of, of laying out the dichotomy between faith and doubt. Yep. So if there's anything in your faith, brethren, that you're doubting, shore that up. Yep. Start digging in the scriptures. Amen. Convict yourself. You find out what is the right way according to what you see in the scriptures backed by the scriptures, led by the Holy Spirit, and you run with it, right? That is your conviction, and it has to be your conviction, and if there's any doubting there, you better get that squared away. Jude chapter 17, or chapter 1, verse 17. Chapter 17, first imaginations. Find the book of Jude there. There we go. Jude chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. doubting. <clears throat> Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Notice that God puts a lot of emphasis on the problems with doubt. Doubt is the antithesis to faith. Doubt is what will cause you to fail and to stumble when you least expect it and when you most need to be at your, your strongest. And with what's coming and what we see in the world and all the craziness that's out there, you better be convicted of what you believe. Because doubt will kill you. Right. Doubt will make you unacceptable in the eyes of God. Have we not read that? Mm 
Let's continue. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. <clears throat> and Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into, the te cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. I know I've used it before, and <clears throat> you know, the old scripture, that he must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And I remember listening to a God, guy that was somehow on the radio as a preacher, and he just started his prayer with, Oh God, if there is a God. How do you think that prayer went out? How do you think that prayer was received? <laughs> yeah, not so much. DOA, dead on arrival. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he who doubts is like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Doubt is the antithesis of strength and of faith. Amen. Doubt is the killer of good people. Doubt is the killer of Christians who have to fight giants. And brethren, we've been called to fight giants. Amen. Now, when we start understanding what it is that can, like we all got to know our weaknesses, right? We got to know what is my Achilles heel. And most people even openly, unfortunately, share, oh, I just, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I don't believe. How many people have you sat down with and you've heard come out of their mouth, I don't know if God loves me. What's your job then right there, brethren? To convince them through the scripture that Jesus Christ would have died for them alone if it was only them. It's our job to bolster people's faith. We are yeah. not to be the ones who undercut people. Who we are not to be the ones that hang heavy millstones around our brethren's neck and then drop them in the sea. We are not. We need to make it our goal not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. Because if we are those that bring doubt, we are doing the work of the devil. We are there to bolster. We are there to strengthen. We're not there to lie to people. But we're there to take people where they're at and help them to believe and make them make them believe what the scriptures say is true concerning them that Jesus Christ died for them and them alone if that would have been the case we have to take seriously the job of being the encouragers of the brethren right so that when they are struggling they are having problems those times will come if you haven't doubted your faith you haven't done anything to be tested but when you come and those hard times come and that giant standing there banging the shield and making the threats, right? That's when we at our, have to be at our best to make, sure, <laughs> to make sure that we are men of faith. Somebody found cookies. <laughs> so brethren, we've, we have got to make it our goal any time that we are before brothers and sisters, or folks that even claim to be believers, our number one goal, Bill brought it up, we are to go therefore and make disciples. Right. 
And if we're not in the process of actively making disciples, then our secondary job is building people's faith. If we're not actively discipling, then we need to be actively building their faith, which goes to the fact that we need to be showing them the light. Keith is telling me this morning he's got a he's got a message he wants to preach on. <clears throat> what was that? How to what to do when the light dims a little bit, right? Something to those effect. How do we stay sharp? How do we stay strong? And how do we keep that light burning bright? Because even if we're not actively discipling we should always be in the mode of actively building faith of God in people. Specifically building the faith of Jesus Christ, that they see themselves as a son or daughter of God, and that they are loved by God in such fashion, and that God will do everything and move heaven and earth and say to this mountain, go to that sea, and it will be done. We cannot doubt, and we need to help those that are doubting. If you go to Acts chapter 10... Acts chapter 10, verse 19. And reading through 21. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason which you have come? And if you look at that word misgivings, you know what it is? Doubt. Don't doubt this. Now, think about the situation. Peter's sitting there, has a vision. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Whoa, Lord, not me. Nothing unclean's ever touched my mouth. Um, Pete, you didn't get it. Let's do this again. Arise, kill and eat, Peter. Whoa, I'm a holy, righteous man. Hey, Pete, shut up. Arise, kill and eat. And he's thinking, man, what does this mean? And then he gets a knock from from a couple Gentiles on the door that say what? Hey, we were told to come and fetch you because you're supposed to speak us words leading to life. And God tells Pete, go without misgivings. If you look at that word misgivings, it's the word for doubt. He says, go, I got a special job for you, right? How many times have we been in a situation where you know it's God working, right? And you're like, this is really weird and maybe a little hunky, but... A little wonky, but you're just like, all right, let's roll with it, right? We need to be those people that without doubt go when the situation arises. We may not have the luxury of God showing us a vision first. It just may show up on our doorstep and we have to run with it. Uh, Deuteronomy 28. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Sorry about that. Um, Deuteronomy 28 is a, a depressing chapter. We talked about this in the assembly here not too long ago. There's just a lot of bad things that are going to happen. But in 15 it says, But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God, observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I charge you today, that, these, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And, man, he, like, go through and look at all those curses. Yeah. Right? It's nasty. And, and why is he doing that? Because they doubted God was able to do what he said he could do. They doubted that God would honor their sacrifice and their obedience. And man, the curses, like, just go through Deuteronomy 28. 
that's a depressing chapter. Like, it's pretty hardcore. And all that stems because they didn't believe what God would do, what he said he, they would do, that he would do. Doubt, folks, is the killer of Christians. Doubt is the killer of faith. Doubt is the killer of bodies. It's the killer of churches. It's the killer of ambitions. It's the killer of useful service to our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> doubt is, is ugly, and doubt needs to be dealt with. Um, continue through there. Uh, actually, go to Deuteronomy actually 28. Go to 66. Yeah, chapter 28, verse 66. So he sums that major proclamation up. So your life shall hang in doubt before you. Right? He says, these awful things are going to happen to you. And so your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall be in dread night and day, and you shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, would it that were at evening? And in the evening you should say, would it that it were morning? Because of the dread in your heart which you dread, and the sight of your eyes which you will see. And the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships by the way which I spoke you, and you will never see it again. And you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. Everybody understands the prodigal son, right? And he says, man, I could at least go back to my dad's house and live work as a slave, and I'll be better off here. Well, God says, you're going to try to sell yourself into slavery and you won't be accepted. Why? Because your life is filled with doubt. The double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Brothers, we need to figure out this doubt thing. And if you've got it in there, you need to root it out. It's a cancer. It's a rot. It is death embodied. And it will kill you and everybody you care about. Right. We need to eliminate doubt. Understand what God has to say about it. Do something about it. Write these down. I, I want to get right into David here. Matthew 21, 11 through 22, do not doubt. Luke 24, 36 through 38, and why do doubts arise? Matthew. Can you do that once again real quick? Uh, Luke 24, 36. Matthew, oh, Matthew 21, uh, 11 through 22. Luke 24, 36 through 38. Matthew 14, 22 through 33, right? That's a lot of those talking about Peter, right? What was Peter doing? Oh my gosh, guys freaking out. Jesus walking across the water. Peter says, Lord, tell me, tell me that I can do this. He says, come. And he does, but what happens? And he's, he was doing it, right? Do we understand that? Yeah, because why? Lost his focus. Started what? Doubting. Matthew 14, what? Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Doubt by definition. Here's one for you, Joey. To call into question the truth, to be uncertain, or in doubt about, to lack confidence. Doubt. To call into question the truth of, to be uncertain or in doubt about, to lack confidence. The flip of that is conviction, a strong persuasion or belief, the state of being convinced. So I, I always like to do this. How many, and you guys have all been around me, Keith especially, I know he's seen me do this more than once. But I got a thing now where I'm talking to folks, and I do it at work. It cost me 20 bucks up in Alaska here recently. But when I'm talking to people and they're like, no, it was this, and I'm convinced, you know what I do? Bet you 100 bucks. 
And what you find out real quick is how convinced people are of their of their truth, right? Most people, uh, most people don't take me up on that bet. But the ones that do, I'll guarantee you, I'm money ahead right now. But I always tell them, money where your mouth is. Oh, you really believe that? I'll bet you a hundred bucks. We'll look it up right now. Don't get on your phone. Bet me a hundred dollars. My buddy or my friend's daughter did that for me, and I was like, hundred bucks. And she's like, she's a traveling nurse, and she wasn't working at the time. She goes, I'm unemployed right now. Let's make it twenty. And she was right. We actually had a bet. We were talking about that new movie about uh, Nike, and I remember the book, and it was uh, the book was um, Shoe Dog, and I was like, no, that movie's Shoe Dog. She's like, no, it's not. I'm like, bet you a hundred bucks, and she's like, ah, ah, but she was pretty convinced, so she's like, how about twenty? And so she won twenty bucks off me. The movie, <laughs> the movie was called Air. <clears throat> so, but it's my hundred dollar bet because you know what? That t tells me really quick whether you just are trying to fight and want to be contrarian or you believe what you believe. And folks, we need to be that person that'll take that hundred dollar bet every time. And if you do and you lose, you gotta be willing to pay up too. But what I'm saying is we need to be people of conviction. Right. And I love that example because that's conviction. Pull your wallet out, hand me some cash if you're wrong. How convicted are you? And we need to be people, we need to be men that'll take that $100 bet every time. Also needs means that you need to be studied up, yep. you need to know your stuff, yep. and you need to be right. But when we get back to understanding David, Look that up. I'm, I'm wetting your whistle on the doubt thing here. We spent about two, three weeks on it up in Oregon City. But I'm telling you, there's a lot to be said about doubt and the faith killer it is. And it is the evil and an insidious evil that we don't understand, right? But when you start looking and asking, man, how much, how much conviction do I really have? Do I doubt do I believe that God says he's able to do what he says he's going to do? And do I believe he's going to do it in me? You need to be convinced and convicted. So getting back to David, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. First Samuel chapter 6. <clears throat> Let's talk about David a little bit. Um, I read a book a couple years ago, Malcolm Gladwell, some of you guys may know him. He wrote a book called David and Goliath. And in it, I agreed with his premise because it's something I felt for a long time. But I want to give a little bit of credit there because it, it really helped me to develop that thought. David wasn't an underdog. David and Goliath is the underdog story. But if you look and you read the scriptures, and I remember going through the Bible, the whole Bible, and reading it through, and I remember the first time I read David and Goliath, I thought, David was never an underdog in this story. Yeah, you had a big, slow, dumb Goliath. And you had a guy who had had a prophet come anoint him with oil, tell him he's God's elect, tell him that God's going to use him, go up against him. Who was the underdog in that situation? The big dumb guy or the guy that God had told him directly, you're my man? Who's the underdog? David was never an underdog. And in Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> Oop, excuse me. 
Samuel chapter six. Sam, yeah, first Samuel chapter six. Uh, I might have it wrong here. Just a second. It might be. Yeah, let's go to go to sixteen. Yeah. I forgot a one. Oh, there we go. Look at that. I even have my notes in there still. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> chapter twelve or chapter sixteen, verse twelve. Let's try that. So I went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is skillful player of the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man now who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite who is a skillful musician and a mighty man of valor, a warrior and one prudent in speech and handsome man, but the Lord is with him. So Saul sent the messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. And Jesus took a donkey, or Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent a message to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take the harp and play it. With his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. So this young shepherd goes from the fields to standing before kings, to playing for kings, and then the king also makes him an armor bearer. Now, how many of you guys remember being a young man and coming up and, and having some success in life? Right? God gives men testosterone for a reason. He makes us cocky for a reason. Like, the older I get, the more I realize, man, I miss that energy, and I miss that just undaunting cockiness, right? As you get older, you start thinking more, and sometimes thinking is the nemesis of action. Matter of fact, thinking a lot of the times is the nemesis of action, and I've never, like, I see young guys now that work for me, and they're just cocky as all get up, and I love it, because it's like, you know what? That's what makes the world go around. That's how things get done. Right? When you don't know enough to know that what you don't know, and you just step out there and you get it done. Right? right? Really, that is what makes the world go around. <laughs> right? Harness those young horses and go for it. And this is David, man. I mean, in more so, more ways than we can count, this is David. Right? And so, for time's sake, you go through Samuel. Let's fast forward the story. You guys know it, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time reading through the scriptures, but we might go to a few just so Jess got some time. This is all happening, and here's David, and he's out in the field. What's another thing that happens to David out in the field as a, as a, a tender of the flocks? He, he fought lions. Think about that. He fought lions and bears, says so. We might even go there here in a little bit. But understand, what I want you to understand out of that example is that God put him through trials for something that was to come. God is going to put you through trials for things that will come. Mm -hmm. And so the bears that he fought and the lions that he fought in doing his duty as just a lowly shepherd boy prepared him when some big galoot walks down on the plane and says, send me a man. 
that I may feed him to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and that you will find that your God is no God at all. What happens? David gets incensed. So let's fast forward a little bit. Jesse tells David, hey, go down. Bring these supplies to your brother. I want you to help out. Now, we know that David's already been in the presence of the king. We know he plays for him. We know he's his armor bearer. But he's still a little bit of an unknown commodity, right? Saul's busy. He's got a million things going on. He doesn't know who's who. He just knows that there's people in his life. And pretty soon this young man comes down, and he hears this big galoot down there taunting the armies of God, taunting God himself. And he's like, who is this guy? And why isn't anybody doing anything about it? Then I love it because the young cocky nature of young men comes out. And David asks, so what's the king going to do for the guy that takes this guy out? <laughs> I so get that. I, I'm sorry, but that, I understand that. So uh, what are you going to do for the guy that takes this guy out? Oh, well, first of all, Saul's going to give you his daughter. And then he's going to make your, your family basically tax-free in all Israel. He's going to make you free, which basically means tax-free, if you understand the nature of things. Yeah. He says, your family will be free in Israel. And there's a lot of perks to that. And your name will be heralded, and you will marry the daughter of the king. Now, David, I think, had already planned on going and taking this guy out. But, hey, while I'm here, <laughs> there's some added perks to this. I'm all for it, right? What were those again? Can you list those? And I know he's thinking in his head, yeah, it's going to be easy. This guy's going down, right? Number one reason. Tell me right now the number one reason David knew that Goliath was going to die. Because he already fought with the, the bear and the lion. No. Because he knew God wasn't going to put up with this. He said the battle's the Lord's. So, let's fast forward a little further, right? David goes up to the king. Hey! This guy's going down, don't you fear. And David says, don't you doubt, for I will kill this man. I will take him out. Not me, but the Lord will take him out, because nobody's going to taunt the armies of the Lord. Nobody's going to taunt the Lord and make it. And the king says, uh, but you're just ruddy in appearance of a youth, and he's been killing people from his youth. David said, not an issue, right? Yep. And then what they do? David said, let me do this. Saul acquiesces and says, okay. And then what's Saul do? Tries to give him armor. And he said, nope. Puts on his armor, puts on his sword, puts on his helmet. All of these which David said, I am not accustomed to fighting in this way. Let's go back to Romans 14. You guys are all accustomed to fighting this way. That's not my fight. This is how you guys want to do it. It's not how I'm going to do it. If you understood kind of the armies and how they worked, you had archers, you had slingmen, you had infantry, and you had uh, um, cavalry, right? And everybody back in that day knew that heavy infantry stood no chance against archery or slingmen. And David's like, it's not my fight. That may be how you, be, you were convicted to do it, but that ain't how I'm convicted to do it. There's no way I'm taking a sword down there and standing in front of this six foot nine or nine foot or 11 foot monster and fighting his fight i'm fighting the fight that god's taught me how to fight and so what's he do he drops all that armor goes down by the creek there grabs himself five smooth stones 
in an instant, what's he do? He sinks a rock into that guy's skull. Now, whether or not the rock killed him or not, I don't think it did. I think it stunned him, to be honest with you. But what's David do? He runs right up there, pulls out Goliath's sword, and cuts off Goliath's head. Gentlemen, it was never, never a fair fight. And David was never an underdog. God was with him, and David was convinced of that. And so using the tools that David had, David fought his fight. Romans 14. Mm -hmm. David was convicted and convinced that this is the way to do it. This is who I am. This is how God made me. God has put me in similar situations in the past where I have used my sling to stun those lions and stun those bears and grab them by the beard and hack their heads off. And that's exactly what I'm going to do to this Philistine down in the field. David fought his fight. Brethren, don't ever try to fight somebody else's fight if you're not accustomed to that kind of fight. God has made you, as an individual, unique. God is going to put you through unique situations, and he's going to give you your own style of fighting the good fight. And when you try to do it by other people's rules, in other people's houses, and do it in a way in which you're not familiar, you will fail. What David teaches us is that an unwavering faith in the fact that there is no way that God is going to let this Philistine taunt his armies or him and feels that he's got the tools to take this big galoot out, Goliath never stood a chance. David fought his fight. He fought it how he knew how he fought it, and it was over before anybody even realized what happened. I mean, dude, I mean can you imagine that? And not only that, what does it say that when... When the battle started and Philistine and Goliath says, come to me, what did David do? He ran, ran to him. And before that guy knew it, right in the forehead. I was, read a book that was talking about that, and they said basically that stone at those times, they were accurate within a hair's breadth, and they said that stone probably carried the velocity about three-quarters of a 45. Wow. So think about that. I mean, it thunked him right in the head. That fight was over before they even knew it. And then as you read the rest of the chapter, right, they chased those Philistines and they killed as many Philistines and they plundered them. And the Philistines are still trying to figure out to this day what happened, right? What just happened? And then it comes up and we see also in the, in the ongoing embroglio between Saul and David, this day is actually a day where, where that becomes even more intense because after everything's done, David goes up there, cuts his head off. He steals the sword, the spear, I think the, the shield and the sword. And I don't know if it was the spear as well. But I know he's got the sword because that comes into play later. And then all of a sudden, the people start singing what? Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And you know what? Saul knew that that was appropriate. Saul knew in his heart of hearts that was appropriate. Why? Saul knew he was a lesser man. Why? Because he didn't do it, period. Right? That same guy was out there taunting the armies of God, and the king didn't go out there and take care of him. And when David, a yutty, ruddy youth in his, or ruddy uh, appearing youth, comes up and says, dude, I'll take him out, Saul knew that should have been his job. Saul knew as a man of God, and as we know, right, what do we know about Saul? 
When Saul was picked, why was he picked? Anybody remember? Stature. Stature. Head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was no small guy. Matter of fact, it says that he was picked because of his appearance, right? People said, what? Give us a king. Give us a king. A lot like today. Give us a king. Give us a communism. Right? And he did. And he picked it because they were, he was tall and he was handsome and he was tough. But on that day, he wasn't tough enough. And the sad fact is, he knew it. David was. David said, I don't care how big he is. I don't care how small I am. I don't care how young I am. I just know that I've got the tools to go out there and like the bear and the lion, I'm going to go slay this guy. And so understand, God has got giants for each one of us to fight, brethren. When we start going through trials, when we go through trials, and we wonder, man, why do I have to go through this? It is in preparation for something bigger. It's to get us trained to fight. And again, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's on spiritual planes, right? So it's usually spiritual battles and spiritual warfare and spiritual weapons. This is our weapon. This is our sling. This is our shield. This is our sword. That is our spear. And however it is you choose to use it, however it is that you're convicted to use it, brethren, use it. And if there is any doubt or any disbelief in any one of us, root that out. Recruit the brethren, tell people, ask people for help, ask people for prayers, get on it and say, I am struggling in this, I am not 100% convicted, I am not firm in my faith, and I need help. Because doubt is the killer of those who would kill giants, brethren. Lead on. Give me a hug. (laughs) You know, I want to share something. I am absolutely 110% believe what you said, man. That was right on. The way you started it was excellent. And I know what you were talking about. But we, we together serve together united in faith and you do it different than i do but you know what the end is people are immersed into christ with remission of sins to receive the holy spirit in obedience to the gospel now people listen to this if they don't listen to the whole thing they're going to take that front end statement they're going to say see he's just a, a a wild child doing whatever he wants to do that's not who this man is for those of you who know him that's not who he is this, this audio is going to get in the hands of some folks that started this a long time ago, and they're going to continue to, to continue to propagate the lie against who you are and the man that you are. See, so I'm saying this right now on this tape for us and for those who might be listening. This man believes the gospel of Christ. And I will and the, say right now on the tape, there is one who judges me, and there ain't one of them on this earth. Amen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This man's living it by the standard. Do you believe immersion for the remission of sins to receive the Holy Spirit? I know you do. So he's not changing the gospel. He's saying, I fight the fight this way to bring them to the plan of salvation so they'll be immersed into Christ in obedience to God. See, so don't let anybody tell you that this guy's not doing it the way God's called him to do it. God equipped him 
different than he equipped me, but we're fighting the same fight. Amen. You know, I've been told that if I don't use the track to run on, then I'm not doing it right. The elementary teachings are a powerful tool that have been used over and over and over again, and you're the blessed recipient of that, and you're fighting the good fight, and you use it as it works best for you. Man, I love this. So important what you just heard. Brian doesn't fight the same way I fight, but we get the end result, don't we? Amen. Same end result. We got to know. This is a powerful passage. If we're being brought to doubt because someone says we're not doing it the way we should do it, but we're getting the same result, people being immersed because of conviction that they become a Christian, and that that's when it happens, and then they're going to move faithfully forward. And you talked about the encouragement ministry and the ministry of plucking people out of the fire. Both are absolutely essential. Amen. When someone says it's evangelism, it's evangelism, it's evangelism, I'll say, Amen, brother, but what about once you get them in, they need to be encouraged, right, brother? Right. Without him, I would not be here as an evangelist. That man's ministry, he's a Barnabas. Without him, the war effort doesn't continue as powerful as it does. Do you understand what was just said? You don't have to get a Bible study every night of the week, three or four every night of the week, but that's what's being that's a lopsided picture of the body of Christ. We all have our place. We all have our part. Amen? We all have our fight. Amen. Steve Doty understands this principle. I appreciate him. He says, for every guy that's carrying the gun, there's seven or eight service people behind getting him to that place where he can do that effectively. Amen. In World War II, it was 21 for every man carrying a rifle. A little more efficient these days, I guess. But notice, those guys behind the scenes are absolutely essential to carry the fight to the enemy to win. I don't mind being the guy as the tip of the sword. I sure do love guys behind the scenes that got my back. Without you, the fight doesn't get done. It's body life, brethren. Not everybody can have a Bible study. But everybody can build the body of Christ. Can I get an amen on amen. that one? All right. So anyway, for those listening, thank you very much. That was absolutely right on the money.